If you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 116, as today we finish up on the Halal Psalms. And uh, today's uh, chapters, uh, uh, it's so cool. And I think in many ways, I think you could summarize it in what we're called to do with our lips. And I know for some of you here, you're thinking, well, my lips are for kissing. Well, yeah, when you get married, you know, you can kiss your bride. That's fine. But, you know, uh, some of the things that we can do with our lips is we can pray, we can praise. And, uh, and those are things that have power, you know. And, and when we pray and we praise, and then the, the third thing is preach, it, to me, it's so cool. I mean, there, there's a passage here we're going to see tonight that when you pray, God inclines his ear to you. And for whatever reason, when I was studying it this time around, it really hit me. God inclines his ear. And what that literally talks about is that God will then kind of stoop down. When you start praying, God will kind of stoop down and concentrate on what you're saying. And that's what happens when you praise him. That's what happens when you pray and then it's so cool when God opens doors for us to preach. You know, today I was able to talk. Can you believe that God opened doors for me to be able to talk to the Rosemead Varsity football team? And so their, their coach attends the church here. And so he said, hey, can you come down and share a little word with the guys and, and, uh, and pray for our team as the season begins? And you guys know Rosemead High School uh, football team. They need a lot of prayer. Uh, <laughs> But it's so cool because for the coach, he's such a neat brother. It's not about winning. It's much, much more than that in life. And so anyways, going down there and being able to preach a little bit about my story and really how in my life, uh, I didn't realize this until one day I was giving my testimony in Nepal that all I was looking for was love. And I went through this whole journey looking for love. And the day that I found Christ or the day that he found me, I found love. And I got to share that with these guys because the coach was telling me, you know, they're going through a lot. And so those are the things that we do with our lips. We pray, we praise, and we preach. And we're going to see that tonight. But look how it starts. It's cool. In verse 1, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has in inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The, the pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I, I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. I love the way this psalm starts, actually. You know, I love the Lord. And, you know, you guys, we now have the New Testament. And with a little bit of New Testament light, uh, what would you say? We love him because he first loved us. You guys know your Bible, First John, all right, chapter 4. And then in verse 10, it says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he, he, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins and so all of life all of life is about love it's about God's love for you he busted the move he loves you first and then he demonstrated that love he's not one of those guys that just says I love you no he demonstrated it by sending his son Jesus to die for us right and so 
you know, when, when things really begin to hit home, then what ends up happening is you end up with a love relationship. God loves you. And now your whole life, in one sense, can be summarized by, by us simply saying, and, and we love God. And that's how this psalm starts right here. You know, when you put it all together, we love God because of who He is and because of what He does. And we could never count all the ways He loves us. But one of the most wonderful ways that you can express love to anyone is just listen to them. You know, a lot of times nowadays, you know, people aren't really listening, you know, but it's so cool when you're soaking it in, man. And that's what God does for us. He loves us and that he concentrates, he inclines his ear towards us. And right here, that's what the, psalm, the psalmist highlights tonight. He says, I love the Lord, there in verse 1, because he has heard my voice and my prayer for mercy. You know, I don't know if you've ever been there, you know, in those places. Apparently, he was in pain, sharp shooting pain, surrounded by death. And he prayed, God, deliver me, deliver my soul. And God, in his grace, love and mercy, preserved him, saved him, even his soul from Sheol. Now, we don't know the background to this. But, man, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know, um, maybe before you were a Christian, even. You know, I was thinking about that guy, Louis Zamperini. Uh, some of you guys are familiar with his story. He was a young man. He was a runner. He, he ran in the Olympics. He was from USC. And he was going to go to the Olympics again. They, they thought he, might, be do, he not, might do good. But then the war started. And you guys remember his story. He was then uh, in, in, the, in the Air Force. And his plane crashed. And it went into the ocean. And he was floating on a raft for 47 days. Think about that. And he talked about how a couple of times during that, uh, that, that when he was floating in the raft, he, he asked God twice. He said, God, if you'll deliver my soul, then I'll serve you. You know, and, and you know, he spends two years in a Japanese concentration camp. He comes out from the war, but he doesn't follow through on his promise until one day he goes to a Billy Graham crusade and he's hearing the word and, you know, he's trying to make a decision. But what ends up happening is he's walking out and as he walks out the door, I read the story today, it's kind of cool. God reminded him of the promise. He said, wait a minute, time out. When you were in the raft there, uh, you prayed. You said, God, if you deliver me, then I will serve you. And God, think about it. I mean, how many people would survive 47 days in a raft, two years in a Japanese concentration camp? And what we find is that, God, that, that, he, that he survived. Just like we're reading right here, the psalmist was in this situation. He prayed and God delivered him. You know, it's interesting when you look at the, the power of prayer, and, and I pray you guys would know that in your life, you know, how God hears us, how inclines, he inclines his ear. You know, I was thinking about today, I was in Luke chapter 18, and I was reading about Bartimaeus. And you guys remember Bartimaeus, how he was blind, and then one day he heard Jesus was walking by, and so he started crying out. And you remember what everybody told him to do? They said, be quiet, be quiet. And so you know what he did? He cried out louder. <laughs> and, and that should be our prayer life. I mean, I tell you what, how is your, your prayer life? I want to encourage you, and we see it time and time again as we're going through the Psalms. There is an inclination. There is this invitation to pray. 
And, and what we find right here is that, that, you know, in Bartimaeus' situation, it's interesting because the first word in the Greek, it just talks about a cry. The second word in the Greek language there in Luke 18, it talks about the cry of an animal. You know, I mean, like serious prayer, not just messing around, like really praying to God. You're the God of the universe. You know my situation. And so you're really lifting it up to the Lord. But then it's kind of interesting. God doesn't hear just the cry of the creatures. He hears the cries of his kids. And that's what we see here in this psalm. Notice again, it says right here that God uh, protects those. He preserves the simple. And the NLT, it's interesting, it says the Lord protects those of childlike faith. And that's how we pray. You know, how many times I think we've complicated it, you know, and sophisticated it and made it worse because of our grown-up worries when God just wants me to stay simple and strong in my faith and just talk to him as I would a papa. Lord, I, you see my, my struggles, you see my hurts, you see my situation. Lord, and I don't know, you know, how it's all going to work out, but Lord, I know that you will work it all out for good. And we have to have that childlike faith. We have to have that, that simple faith. You know, the other day I was uh, going through my prayer requests, and one of the brothers, he was asking for prayer because his wife's dad is not doing well. Apparently he can't see, he can't walk, he's got kidney damage, uh, something going on with his lungs, he has diabetes that really has been untreated. And so um, this particular couple, they live in the States, but her dad lives in a third world country. And so they're wondering, what do we do? What do we do, right? And they're talking about it with their, their children, kind of sharing the details and praying with them. And then just this cool, so cool, randomly out of the blue, uh, the, the first thing the little boy says after he hears the whole situation, he says, Mom, you need to go there and tell them about Jesus. And, you know, and here they are, they're, they're wondering, like, what, what do we do? What, what's, you know, and the little boy, he just knows the faith of a child, sensitivity to the Lord. You guys don't ever grow out of that. You know, it'll change your life. And so what we find right there is, man, the simplicity then brings tranquility. Look at verse 7. He says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, this is an interesting passage. You know, at, at first, to be honest with you, when I was studying it, I was thinking, okay, here's a passage that tells us that you're supposed to be peaceful in all your problems. You're supposed to go through everything with this, you know, serenity in the storm. And, and, I, and I pray you would, you guys. I pray that whatever life throws your way, that you, you won't freak out, you won't worry you know, you won't have weird feelings inside. You know, but that's not what this psalm says. As a matter of fact, this psalm says that I was going through it really hard. I was going through it really hard. I was going through these valleys, these emotional lows. And then when God brought me out of it, then the rest returned. 
You know, and, and when I was reading this, I was like, wow, Lord, that's kind of a, a tough thing, an interesting passage, you know. While he was going through it, his soul was restless. It was a tough time for him, you know. But, but then afterwards, he's saying that for him, the rest returned when, you know, the, the prayer was answered. And, and, and I was saying, well, then, Lord, we're, we're, then we can't be those types of Christians who just say, I'm going to freak out and, until God works it out. But I will say this, one thing we can take from this is that eventually, whatever you're going through, God will work it out. And we go through hard times. I, I can't take away the pain. I can't take away the loneliness. I can't take away, you know, the, the, the way that, it, how it feels sometimes, you know. You can't take that away. But what helps me sometimes, you know, because we've all gone through trials, you know. I've gone through some pretty crazy ones, uh, maybe I would say in my life probably about five really, really big trials. And the last three ones that I've gone through, it's interesting. You know, people not really knowing the details of my life, they came up to me and they had a word and they, and they told me. And it's interesting for me, now you guys can't use it on me because I already have it, but, but they told me, they said, this too shall pass. And, and what, it, what they're saying is that right now you're, 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 you're nailed to the floor. Right now you're struggling. Right now you're in a valley. Right now you're not feeling it. But eventually God is going to bring you out and he's going to set you on the rock. And that's kind of what we, we see right here. You know, myself as a fallen human being, many ups and downs and times of a lot of work and a lot of worry sometimes, I've had that sense that something is really, you know, bad. But then those words encourage me because notice right here, he talks about how God deals with uh, him. God dealt with him there in verse 7, bountifully. So eventually, you will see God deal bountifully. Do you believe that in the trial that you're in right now? Because it's important that we do. This is what we need to take away from this uh, psalm right here. And we can trust God to fulfill his word. Now somehow this psalmist, he knew that he was going to live. Uh, he, he, he's in this valley. He's in, you know, at the brink of, of death. But he knew he was going to live. Look at verse 9 again. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore I spoke. I mean, he had that word somehow he had that word that he was going to be okay and, and as a result of that i think it, it made a difference now sometimes you guys we need to speak it and i'm not talking about you know name it and claim it blab it and grab it health wealth and prosperity but sometimes you got to speak it sometimes you got to say it I, I will not be defeated you say it out loud and you know, maybe you're talking to, 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 I don't know, the enemy, or maybe you're talking to yourself. Maybe you're talking to the people around you. You know, this is God's house. The enemy does not live here. You are, are God's child, and you're talking to your son. Whatever the case may be, but sometimes if you believe it, I tell you what, it helps to speak it. And so that's what we see he's saying right here. Paul said the same thing. He quoted this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And I'll tell you what, you start doing that at your house. You start doing that in your life. 
you start, you know, just claiming God's promises. And, and it, it makes a big difference right here. You know, he, he had, God had given him a personal promise that he wasn't going to pass. And so I believe and therefore I spoke. He was greatly afflicted, but not forsaken. And all these guys were liars. They were telling him, you're going to die. But he said, you know what? They're liars. Let, let them be liars. God is true. And so we can trust God to fulfill his word. And sometimes, you guys, we, we have to speak it. And, and what we find, I think, in this psalm right here, if I was to give it any type of outline, I, I would just say that there are the valleys, then there are the victories, and then I think there are the vows. Like, what will you do in response to this? And so look what he says in verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, Lord, truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And so he had gone through this crazy, crazy valley. God gave him this amazing victory. And now there's a response. There's a vow. I'm going to like serve the Lord immediately. I'm going to serve the Lord publicly. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to pay my vows. I'm going to serve him because he's my savior, you know. And, and to me, it's really cool because sometimes people, they don't have any, any vows. I'm not, you know, I don't got anything worked out with the Lord. There are no divine details whatsoever, you know. And, and I tell you what, you know, I, I think that if you get with the Holy Spirit, He'll start telling you, no, this is what I want you to do. These are the gifts that you have. These are the talents that you were born with. And, and you know, this is, I mean, and it's so cool because God will give you those. And that way, at least, at least you have goals. Hey, how about, you know, God made you. God died for you. How about you make a, a little, uh, you know, vow to God, I'll go to church. I'll go to church service. I mean, that's kind of what he's saying right there. Is that too much to ask? Or, or maybe a little more, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I don't know, Lord, you know, you've done such a great work in my life. I, I don't know, Lord, I'll pray with my wife, um, you know, whatever, every day, five days a week. I don't know, but I mean, little things that you just, you, you goals that you have because of what God has done in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I think it's good. And, and that's what he has right here. You know, for me, I got saved, and God put a goal in my life. I want you to read your Bible every day. I want you to get on your knees every day. I want you to pray little things, little, I don't know, vows, so to speak. I mean, it's the least we can do after all that he has done. Right here, his vows. What shall I do in response to these blessings right there, these benefits in verse 12? You know, I will, I will take up the cup of salvation and the cup of salvation, it could have been in reference to the way that when they would uh, give their sacrifices and offerings, they would take the cup and they would pour it out 
uh, symbolic of uh, life that's poured out to God, right? And that's kind of what he's saying, not just a, a cup of, of wine, but my life. I, I give my life to God. It's a good response. Romans 12, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Romans 1 through 11 is all about how we should have gone to hell. But Jesus Christ died on a cross to save us. He saved you so that when you die, you're going to heaven. Will you do anything in response to that? And that's what Paul's saying. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So the cup uh, of salvation. I mean, he said he would pay his vows to, to worship the Lord and, to, and even to walk in, in the ways of the Lord, right? I mean, now right here, verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Uh, verse 16, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You see the vows that are there? I mean, he's going to serve the Lord. You have loosed my bonds. You've broken the chains. I will offer to you the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving, calling upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And in the course of the Lord's house in the midst of Jerusalem, you know, praise the Lord. And he uses the word now there in verse 14 not not tomorrow now it's immediately and i'm going to do it in front of everybody that's publicly i'm not ashamed god has broken the bonds he's healed me he's set me free he's freed me from my chains and so lord um i will praise you and i think that in one sense you guys i mean we're looking at like the summaries of life what's your life all about What's it all about for you? I mean, I just want to love you, Lord. I just want to serve you, Lord. I just want to live a life of gratitude because your son died on a cross for me. You know, and you just, it's just so simple when you begin to look at things from that perspective. And so he was about to die. God saved him. God delivered him. You know, I was thinking about, uh, you know, my brother Joey here. I actually have him in my notes. I have a picture of him right here. No, I'm just joking. Joey, he died. He flatlined. And if he would have died and flatlined, if he would have died, he would have gone to hell. I was thinking about some other uh, brother. He came up to me the other day at the baptism. He told me that he died. Uh, my dad, my dad got shot right here. Now, if he would have got shot right here, he would have died. If he would have got shot right here, he would have died. But he got shot right here. If he would have died, he would have gone to hell. But God spared him. Some of you guys right here, you think about it, you, you almost died before you were a Christian. This is, this is about you. I mean, I think of me before I was a Christian, how I used to dr drink and drive, not even knowing uh, anything. I was blacked out, completely blacked out. How did I get from point A to point B? I should have died and been in hell. This psalm is for me. And so you're saying, well, then Manny, does that mean that everybody who's sick, they're going to get healed? No, no. And that's why we have verse 15 right here. You know, verse 15, notice again what it says. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so um, how does it fit then? And, and, and basically what we see is the psalmist says, I was healed 
But if one of his saints, one of his loved ones, one of his faithful servants and followers goes home, if he does take a child of his to heaven, it's not something that he does lightly. No, he cares deeply and no one ever passes randomly. And that's all he's saying right here. One commentator said the death of a saint is not something the Lord considers as cheap. He does not let his people die for no reason. And so until we're done, you know, um, man, we have work to do. We have a life of gratitude to live. But if one day, if we don't get raptured and God takes us home, understand it wasn't done lightly by the Lord. Okay? And so Psalm uh, 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. You guys like those chapters, huh? Verse 1. <laughs> Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And so he starts with the word hallelujah. To who? He says to all, all you Gentiles. How many of you, how many Gentiles here tonight? I'm just curious. You guys know what a Gentile is, right? That means if you're, it means you're not a Jew. Are there any Jews here tonight? All right, yes, we got a couple here. Jews that are born anew are special, but all the rest of you guys, man, you were without hope. <laughs> and God, thank God, he saved us, even us, right? The Jews didn't know it, but it was all part of God's plan. Paul even quotes his passage in Romans 15 in verse 11. Notice again, again, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him. Laud him. And so laud is not a word that we use a lot, but we do use the word applaud. Applaud. Uh -huh. And that's basically what it means, you know. And, and it's just so cool after we do worship. I hear you guys clap, and I know that you're clapping you know, for the Lord, right? The applaud is for him. Who is to do it? The Gentiles. Why? He says right here, because of his merciful kindness, how great is it, it is towards us, and that his truth endures forever. You know, it's interesting. Uh, John Corson was talking about this, how in the Hebrew language, really it's talking about grace and truth. You know how the Gentiles are to praise God for his grace and truth. And, and then you go to John chapter 1, and the Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we praise him. We thank God for him. We applaud him. We, we live our life for him because he gave us Jesus. And then in Psalm 118, it's kind of cool because it, it's a lot about Jesus. This psalm right here is what's called an antiphon. And that means it would be responsive. And so like the leader would say something and then the congregation would respond. And so we read in verse 1 where it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. And remember what I was talking about earlier, you guys, how um, I believed and therefore I spoke? That, that's kind of like, I don't know, I hope we start getting into stuff like that because, you know, people might think we're Pentecostal, but that's okay because there's power in this. There's power in, in saying it. 
you know, so let's do this together. I'll, I'll read the first part, and you, you guys read His Mercy Endures Forever, okay? So um, let's try it. I know you guys aren't good at this, and I know you're going to mess up, but let's try it, okay? Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Let Israel now say, Let the house of Aaron now say, Let those who fear the Lord now say, yeah, and you're like, wow, I used to do that way back then when I was at the other. It's okay. It's okay. You know, just say it because maybe you need it. Maybe you're all messed up and you're like, man, I don't know. I think God's mercy just ran out on me. You know, I think now that I've messed up so much, I'm a second-class citizen. And it doesn't work that way. His mercy endures forever. And you believe it, right? Oh, there, there's that, that gratitude. Oh, give thanks to the Lord that we need to have for his goodness. How his, his mercy covers us. Or as other translations say, his love is loyal and faithful love. And again, it's interesting how this is one of those psalms addressing everyone. The house of Aaron would be the high priests or leaders. And then the Israel were the Jews. And those who fear the Lord, more than likely in, re, in, re, in uh, reference to the Gentiles who were believers, right? And so it's for everyone who's been saved. Are you saved tonight? If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And if you have that assurance, then praise God that you're saved. If that's you, then that's what this psalm is, is directing towards you. Give thanks to the Lord. Notice how it all started in, in verse 5. I called on the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in, in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And so, you know, he wants, obviously wants to bring you to a place of, of trusting God, right? You know, maybe you're here this evening and you're pressed and, and, and stressed and, and distressed. I, I wonder if there's anyone here like that tonight. You're really, really going through struggles. You're in a valley. I want to encourage you to do what this psalmist did. It says that when he was there that he called on the name of the Lord. Verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress, and he answered me, right? I mean, have you guys ever had, I'm just curious, have you ever had like a phone call that changed your life? You know, I, I, I've had a few of those. I remember one time when my wife called me, changed my life, but she wasn't my wife then. It was a she called me and we were just kind of starting to go out and then I remember one night she called me really really late and she said I love you I remember that I love you too and I gotta tell you the whole story one day but anyways because I had told her I love you and she didn't say anything she said okay bye-bye <laughs> she called me and it changed my life uh, I remember getting a phone call you know certain ministry things I mean and if a phone call can change your life how about a throne call how about that one day where you really connect with God and, and and like today like when I was praying and for whatever reason it hit me harder that he has inclined his ear to my prayer 
that when I pray that God is concentrating on the words that I'm speaking. And so today when I was praying, I was like, wow, Lord, you are listening to, to me. And, and sometimes that is exactly what will change your life. That you're in distress, but, but then you really call on the Lord. And, and he answers you, right? You know, try it. Because here we see, it's interesting, the Lord says in verse 6 that, he, that he's on your side. And we see in verse 7 that he's for you, to help you. You know, there's no reason to fear man. Why? Because God is on your side. He, he's for you. He'll work it all for your good. And in spite of the fact that we go through sufferings, accusations, condemnations, tribulations, persecutions, angels, demons, humans that are against us, it doesn't matter. We think of our past, our present, our future. Romans chapter 8, it says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? God is on our side. I know this is a weird illustration, but uh, the other day I was just spending time with the Lord, and I was thinking about how much I fail Him. To be honest, I was actually thinking, Lord, I just fail You so much. I feel like I'm on this basketball team, and every, every shot I take, I miss. But then I was thinking, but Lord, but You're on my team. And every shot You take, You make. And we win. Because You're for me. Because you're with me. And even in all my failures, Lord, you've never failed. You guys, and that changes everything. He's not against you. He's, he's for you. He's, he's on your side, right? And that's why I like Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, we're, we're thinking we want more stuff. More of what the world has to offer. More of, of what the flesh, you know, is thinking is right. And God is just saying, listen, just be content with what you have. You want to know why? Because you have Jesus. And, 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 and that's what he's saying right there. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt lonely. Um, sometimes I, I think we all do. Sometimes I think it will never grow out of it. You know, the more, you know, you're thinking, well, one day I'll reach a plateau where I won't feel lonely. I think in one sense we all feel that. But, but, you know, I don't know. We're thinking that's a bad thing. I don't know what thoughts flow through your mind when you feel lonely. How many of you here, when you feel lonely, feel sorry for yourself? I'm all alone. You know, no one's with me. No one's helping me through this. That person's just oblivious. And, and, and you know what? But what I've learned is that when you're lonely, don't feel sorry for yourself. Because sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until he's all you have. It's actually a good place to be because then when, you're, when you learn to be satisfied in him, no one can ever move you or shake you because you know Jesus is enough. That's kind of what he, he's saying right here, right? There's no reason to fear man or put our confidence in men. It doesn't even matter if he's a prince of men, rich, famous, powerful. No, because God is for us, because God is on our side. 
And you're here, yeah, but man, in my situation, look at the psalmist's situation in verse 10. He says, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. Why? For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. And here, four times we see the word surrounded in verses 10 through 12. Now, usually, you guys, when we go to the movies and, you know, you got your superhero... He's usually running and beating people up, right? Until what? Until he gets surrounded. <laughs> Finally, when he gets surrounded, usually um, he'll, he'll surrender and they'll take him in temporarily. And, and so that's kind of what we're seeing right here. We're in a situation where you, you know, you're surrounded and you're right here he's talking about being surrounded by all nations. Think about that, right? But what we find is that God is going to give him the victory and I think it's kind of cool we're learning a lesson because what we find right here is he had faith like we were talking about you know and, and maybe that'd be something else you can verbalize as you're surrounded you feel trapped there's no way out there's no way to have victory you just say in the name of the Lord I will destroy them over and over again this is what he repeats right here I'm reminded of the time in 2nd Kings chapter 6 when Elisha was surrounded but then the Bible talks about how God then opened up the eyes of uh, the servant who was doubting, and he saw that the angels of the Lord had surrounded him. It says in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha prayed in verse 17, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Psalm 125 in verse 2, it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Here in our psalm, again, we don't know the context. We don't know what was happening. You know, and that's probably okay because that way it's applicable to us no matter what our situation is. It's interesting in verse 13 again, notice it says, You pushed me violently that I might fall but the Lord helped me now you know you're looking at this and you're thinking well is this something going on nationally is something going on personally maybe a little bit of both right but but the enemy pushes you have a drink take a toke maybe a week off or something from you know church stuff uh, get your feet wet a little bit in the world you know and it's you know, it's not that bad, and the enemy can push hard, but isn't it so cool when the Lord helps us? I'm going to push you so that you're going to fall down, and you don't fall, or maybe you did slip in times of temptation. Sometimes we do stumble, like Peter did a few times, and so what does the enemy do then? He sends his missiles into our minds, and he says, dude, you might as well just stay down because you're defeated again. You're done. And I think that that's what the enemy tries to do. And even now we see the Lord is there to help us if we let him. And so in verse 5, he prayed. In verse 7, God helped him. And then what does he do? He, he prays and he sings. Verse 14, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. 
The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And I don't know, just as a quick side note, isn't it interesting? They're singing these words. They're singing these words, right? I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. You know, and, and I don't know, um, right here in verse 14, the Lord is my strength and song. In, in verse 15, they're, this, they're singing these songs in the tents there of the righteous. I mean, can you see them getting stronger? Can you hear them singing, praising God, not just in the temple, but in their tents? Not just at their churches, but in their homes, and not just in their homes, but in their hearts? Isn't it cool? Why are they doing this? Because sometimes people, the only time they sing is at church. The only time they praise God is when they're at church service. And I want to encourage you, no, let it be in your tents. Fill your home with praise music. I love to hear my wife singing. Sometimes she doesn't know that I'm hearing her. Or sometimes even my kids, you know, hearing. I love to hear them singing, man. And why they do it? Because of God's salvation. And then, you know, it's interesting when he gets responsible, he's responding to all these things God does. It's interesting. Uh, so much of our lives can be described in the messages that come from our hearts and flow through our lips, like I said earlier. And we'll close with this, uh, the praising and the preaching. The praising and the preaching. Think about it, the things that come out of your lips, the praising and the preaching. And I, and I think that in, in one sense, that's the way this psalm goes forward. Because notice what we read in verse 19. He says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. And, and in one sense, I mean, maybe you can picture him going into the temple. But, but Lord, can I just go through these gates and say thank you? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for the last 30 years of your sovereign grace in my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the flock. And you just go on and on and on, right? That's what we do with our lips. We're praising. And then right here, he does something else. He starts preaching. Look at verse 22. He says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And for those of you guys who know your Bible a little bit now, who's he talking about now? He's talking about Jesus, huh? And that, that's kind of what happens, man, when... When you get with the God who loves you, you start realizing his love for you. 
and you love him back, next thing you know, you're praying like you should, you're praising like you should, and you're preaching like you should. And this guy, he probably doesn't even know exactly what he's writing, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just moves inside of him. The Bible talks about how they're carried away by the Holy Spirit, and he starts writing these prophecies about Jesus, right? I mean, the stone right here that the builders rejected, who else could this be? It is clearly in reference to Christ, quoted five times in the New Testament, right? Who was rejected by the builders, that's the leaders of Judaism, right? And yet he ends up becoming the capstone of Christianity, the cornerstone of the church. It's got to be in reference to the Messiah, the source of salvation. And so at first it's scandalous, but then it becomes marvelous. Why? Because he would establish a better covenant on better promises because all you have to do now is believe by faith that was made perfectly clear in the new covenant and then you'll be saved. Something Isaiah writes about as well in chapter 28 in, in verse 16. You know, I wish we had more time to, to unpack this, but I encourage you to study this out because this is talking all about the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of Daniel 9, 24 and 25, where it says when the command is issued to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there shall be 69 sevens, 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days. And so you just calculate it. You just bring out a calendar, March 14th, 445 B.C., 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days, brings you to April 6, 32 A.D., the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is the day the Lord has made when Jesus Christ came to present himself as a Messiah, when Jesus Christ came into our life. And you guys, that, that's what I pray we would give thanks for you know you're looking at all this and you're thinking man lord how good you are he closes the psalm in verse 27 god is the lord and he has given us light so bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar you are my god i will praise you you are my god i will exalt you oh give thanks he starts he ends the same way he started oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever and it's just all about at the end of the day, discovering, re reminding yourself who God is. He's the Lord. He's, he's light in, in the darkness. And so when he talks about binding the sacrifice to the altar, you know what he's talking about right there? He's talking about you and me. Because we go on the altar, and you know what we want to do? We kind of squirm. <laughs> we don't want to die. And so it's God say, bind that sacrifice to the altar. Bind it. And don't let it go, because that's the response that we should have as Christians. We are living sacrifices, right? And so I kind of thought it might be good. We're going to have communion tonight. Why don't we have the musicians come up to maybe close with maybe one last question. It all began tonight with the psalmist saying, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Ask you a question tonight. Do you love him? Do you really love him? I pray that you would.